If you have your Bibles, turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we'll take up where we left off and get into the next message, I hope and pray. That was good singing. Amen. i tell you what, I was amazed to see this family sitting on the northwest side, cheering for southeast uh, Friday night. That took a lot of courage, and they did it very quietly like I did. Amen. Praise God. You're in enemy territory. You don't shout too loud. Amen. But it was, uh, it was a lot of fun, and... Uh, we were, there for the, we were there for the band anyway, praise God. But look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and uh, I want to I give you something tonight uh, that I think will really help your marriage and your home and your future, and I appreciate people that are here that's um, not married and that are thinking about getting married and uh, some that are running from marriage. Uh, God has a, has a plan for your life. And it all revolves around the grace of God. Just the grace of God. Amen. Thank God for His amazing grace. Amen. And, you know, I wish I'd have heard these messages when I first got married. And my wife wished I'd have heard them uh, before I got married. Amen. But, uh, you know, we can uh, be guilty of taking each other for granted. One of the worst things you can do, the opposite of honor, is just taking each other for granted. And, you know, I believe that uh, we're all guilty of that. We all have uh, sinned and come short of the glory of God as far as, uh, uh, as taking God for granted. We sometimes uh, take His goodness for granted. We take uh, uh, the, his, um, his love for granted. And we need to realize that God has a plan for our life, and He doesn't want us to uh, just flippantly go through the motions of... Um, of being married. He wants us to be spiritually one. Now, 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, we started this morning on one of the greatest definitions of marriage for you that were in children's churches or whatever, and that is that it's uh, heirs together of the grace of life. I just can't, I can't get over that description of marriage. It's heirs together of the grace of life. And folks, that means His amazing grace can, uh, you can inherit it, you can experience it, you can be involved in it, and it all starts with amazing salvation, grace of, uh, the, the saving grace of God. And, uh, and, and then we go down to the serving grace of God, which I'm going to uh, preach on tonight out of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, but it's all the grace of God. Amen. It's all by the grace of God you're still married. Don't you, don't you think you're better off than somebody? You're just blessed. Uh, if you're still married, and uh, I believe that maybe somebody taught you right when you first got into marriage, and I believe you singles ought to have a high standard for marriage. Amen? And, uh, you know, psychologists tell us that girls tend to marry men like their fathers. Now you know why mothers cry at weddings. Amen? Y'all get that later. Amen? Amen. They cry a lot, don't they? Amen? Seven stages of a head cold sort of uh, summarize a marriage. Uh, the first year, the husband says, Oh, sweetie pie, I'm really worried about those nasty sniffles you have. There's no telling what could turn, it could turn into, strep or whatever's going around. I'm going to take you right down to the hospital, admit you to a couple days of rest, uh, and uh, you know the food's lousy there, so I'm going to Wendy's and get you your favorite single or double, and I'll arrange all that with the head nurse. Second year of marriage. Listen, honey, I don't like the sound of that cough. I'll call the doctor, and he's going to stop by here and take a, take a look at you. Why don't you just go to bed and get some rest? Third year of marriage. Maybe you better go lie down, darling. When you feel lousy, you need to rest. I'll bring you something, um, maybe some canned soup. Fourth year of marriage. No sense wearing yourself out when you're under the weather. When you're finished with those dishes, kids baths, and get them to bed, you ought to go to bed yourself. Fifth Fifth, does that sound like fifth year of marriage? Fifth year of marriage, why don't you take a couple of aspirin? Sixth year of marriage, you ought to go gargle or something instead of sitting around barking like a dog. Seventh year of marriage, see some of y'all uh, do this and that's why you're here. Um, that's why y'all be at the altar. Seventh year of marriage, this tops it off, taking each other for granted, uh, looking at the typical coal. For Pete's sake, stop sneezing. Are you trying to give me pneumonia? You better pick up some tissues while you're at the store getting your cough medicine. And that is the de-evolution 
of marriage. And, you're, and, and you might think I'm kidding, and some of you are not, you do not think I'm kidding, but uh, it can happen to you, taking each other for granted. I'm telling you, friend, it's a grace of God. Some of you, I'm looking around, have great testimonies of what God did in your marriage when you came to this church, not because you came to this church, because you got right with God, you sought the Lord, and God saved your marriage. And that's a wonderful thing. Um, as I said, the spark of romance is not a loving feeling. It's a loving God flowing through you. And folks, the world, they, they just got it backwards. They got it backwards. There's three levels of oneness. There's the um, spiritual level, which is the most important. You become one in the Lord. You become one in the Word. You become one in prayer. Then there's the emotional oneness. That's the soul oneness, soul brothers. We got any soul brothers in here? Uh, I don't see any tonight. Uh, it may be soul oneness. And that's not collard greens and black-eyed peas. Praise God, soul oneness means that you relate. And you actually talk. And you actually have fun together. How many, how many love to be around your husband or wife? Raise your hand. And the rest of you come to an extra service, amen, because you need it. So you got, you got spiritual oneness. And you got, every time I asked a question, I said, man, I'm glad I'm preaching on this. And then you got uh, soul oneness. You got that emotional oneness. And then you have physical oneness. Now, folks, you don't make love. You express love. You express love. If the other two levels of oneness is not right, this won't be right. You'll always feel used. Your wife appreciates hugs in the kitchens as much as in the bedroom or the hallway or the garage or anywhere else. You just, you know, hold hands with her once in a while. Amen. And um, men are like microwaves, and ladies are like crock pots. I didn't say crack pots. I said it takes a long time for them to warm up. Amen? And, folks, warming up means that emotional oneness, the spiritual oneness. And I want to tell you something. The world flip-flops it. They want physical oneness. I want to tell you, physical oneness before marriage is fornication, and it's wicked, and it's, it's ungodly, and it will cause trouble in your marriage. How? Because you'll feel obligated to marry that person even if you don't love them. Physical relationships before marriage mess everything up. And you can say amen right there. And folks, I'll tell you, that's why you ought to save yourself as a beautiful, wrapped gift to your husband on the marriage night. I don't believe that uh, anybody wants used material. Amen. I'm trying to be blunt as I can, but also help you. You won't find this in uh, Sex Education 301. You need to save yourself for marriage because anytime there's premarital intimate relationships, it complicates all kinds of obligations, and uh, it's just not right, and it's not God's plan. I don't believe in safe sex. I believe in sacred sex. That means in marriage only. Amen. That's what the Bible says. And folks, that's not preached much. But folks, we're in a mess in America. They want to flip-flop it and say, hey, if you love me, do it. And it's physical. And I want to tell you something, over 100,000 children in America are behind bars today. 65 out of 100 kids between the age of 7, <clears throat> between 7 and 11 have received psychiatric help this past year in America, the greatest nation on earth. One million of our girls between the age of 12 and 17 get pregnant every year. One out of five use drugs twice a week. Ten million minors are affected by venereal disease. And our children are walking in this minefield. And I want to tell you what God's remedy is. The home. The home. That man that killed all those people in Las Vegas, his daddy was uh, on the most wanted list and he wasn't the right kind of daddy. I want to tell you something. That young couple this morning, the one who got saved last Tuesday a week ago and raving this morning, uh, that could prevent great heartache and great problems and trials in society if they really meant business, if they really got saved. Folks, salvation's the answer. The little uh, fellow that got saved, Brother Bobby, in junior church this morning is a great preventiveness to a lot of violence and crime and, and sin and heartache. Folks, salvation's the answer. And folks, I don't believe politics is going to uh, do it. I don't believe gun control is going to do it. I don't believe anything's going to do it because, folks, what we need is heart control. And heart control starts by the Holy Spirit 
and by being saved. And folks, I wish people would realize that what I'm preaching on is important. And thank God you back, back tonight, you, you testify to your children. It's very important. You can't give out of emptiness or the flesh. The best you can do is manipulate. This morning, one of the dear ladies left our church building. She lost her husband. I preached his funeral several years ago. And she said, Brother Wayne, tell them to love them while they have them. Love them while they have them. That's good advice. I appreciate that. And folks, I guess that that um, little joke about the seven year of, of a cold is what we can fall into when we take each other for granted. And we don't bring energy into our manner, marriage by yielding to the Spirit of God and honoring our mate. You ought to honor him as the head of the house, the spiritual leader, ladies. You ought to honor her as the weaker vessel that needs protection and needs providing for, that needs the love of God. There's no greater experience on this earth than two people dying to self after they're saved, filled with the Spirit of God, and trying to outgive each other in the physical way, but then in the intimate, uh, emotional level, but most important of all, the spiritual level. And it all starts with the spiritual level. So we have saving grace. This morning we have sustaining grace. Trials ought to bring you closer together. And then I got into this uh, part of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, if you'll look with me, uh, on 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, where it says that uh, this church was in poverty. I thank God for you that uh, give beyond your power and faith promise given. I think a great way to have a marriage is faith promise loving and faith promise giving. But in verse 3 it says, for their, for their power I bear record, yea, beyond their power they were willing of themselves. And then it says they first gave themselves, verse 5. And then it goes on to say that we ought to have this grace also in verse 7. And it describes that grace and it says the sincerity of your love and it's described in the greatest act of grace is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he is rich yet for your sakes he became poor that we through his poverty might be rich let's stand all the word of God I want you to go to the next chapter and I want you to look at verse 5 excuse me let's go down to verse 6 to save time and we'll read verse 6 through the end of the chapter this is not a Christmas chapter as some people take it out of context in the last verse it's a giving chapter, one of the greatest giving chapters in the Bible. It says in verse 6, and by the way, the marriage is a giving relationship when we're full of grace. It says in verse 6, But this I say, He that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purpose in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Now look at this. It says this, it says that God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. That's marriage, and that's the ministry. And your greatest ministry is your marriage. As is written, he hath dispersed abroad, and he hath given to the poor, his righteous remaineth forever. Now, he that ministers seed to the sower both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sowed and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Being enriched, what a great term, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness which calls, uh, causes through us thanksgiving to God. For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints but in the abundance also by many thanksgivings unto God while by the experiment of this ministration, in other words, approve God, prove God, step out by faith, they glorified God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and to all men. And by their, pra and by their prayer for you, which long, longed after you for the exceeding grace of God in you, and here it is, thanks be unto God 
for His unspeakable gift. I'd like to just preach a few minutes on serving or giving grace in the relationship of spiritual oneness. Let's pray. You, be, you may be seated. Father, thank you for uh, the blessing of just being here tonight. Thank you for the blessing of being able to go to a home that's full of grace and truth, love and mercy, and full of your spirit. And God, I thank you for homes here that are represented that fear God. They literally practice the presence of God when they walk in their home. They don't let uh, their true Christian disposition just be shown around the Lord's supper table. But God, when they go home and there's nobody around but the children around the breakfast table, there's a Christian grace and there's a Christian disposition. God, help us to find that in our marriages. Help us, God, to have serving grace, giving grace, ministering grace. God, the grace of giving that's a gift from you. Lord, may it be manifested in and through our life. And we'll praise you that while we have our mates, that we dare not take them for granted, but we'd honor them as heirs together of the grace of life. And we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to notice, third of all, not only do we have saving grace and we have sustaining grace, and I believe trials ought to bring you closer together, not further apart. A lot of people get bitter at each other and bitter at God and bitter at circumstances and they, let, and, they, and, they get, and they get division and heartache in their lives. But I want to tell you something, folks. The Bible says in verse 7, every man, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, according as he purpose in his heart, so let him give. The Bible said in the preceding chapter that there's a grace of God that proves the sincerity of your love, verse 8. That it's defined by God's love and God's grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, the acrostic of grace. But then in chapter 9, it tells us who will supply that grace and, and how to get that grace involved in your life. And folks, it's not trying to pump up something. It's not trying to feel like you're in love. It's not trying to get and bartered love, but it's yielding to God by faith in His grace. And folks, it begins with this one word in verse 9 that's essential for your relationship with your mate. It's essential if you're going to do anything for God, no matter who you are or how old you are. It says there's a man purposed in his heart. The marriage is a commitment. Without commitment, you won't make it. True love and lifetime companionship is a product of God's design. Genesis 2, verses 18 through 25, talks about the greatest commitment ever made. That Adam was by himself, and God did not like him being by himself. Loneliness can eat your lunch. Can somebody say amen there? Loneliness is terrible. Uh, there's, a, there's a wonderful blessing to be able to share our heartaches with our mate. And there's a wonderful blessing to go home and brag to our wife when we do something good on the job. And I don't mean brag. I mean, folks, that there's somebody who can say, wow, that is good. Amen. That's great. That's a blessing. And in um, and, and, and Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, God created everything. Amen. And I was witness to an atheist the other day, and he flat got up and just walked out on me. And said, hey, listen, I'm tired of you saying the word faith. And I'm just going to go back to washing dishes. And he stomped out. I got some news for him. I got some stuff. And he said, the next time we talk, you better have some evidence beside the Bible. He's mean as a skunk. And I said, uh, okay, buddy, I sure will. And by the way, before you go wash those dishes, where do you think you came from? Praise God. Give me another glass of tea, Miss Easter. But I want to tell you something, friend. We need to pray for people that have no scope of the Bible, they don't believe the Bible, they don't care about the Bible, they're in rebellion against God, and most atheists are just trying to get an excuse for their sinfulness because they're not fed up with it. But I want to tell you something, friend, God created everyone, say amen, and I'm praying for that old boy, I'm praying to get saved, and I thank God for you that witnessed to him every day on the job of your consecrated life. But the Bible says, God said it is not good that man should be alone, I'll make him a helpmeet for him. Folks, uh, the wife is a divine completer, not a competer. 
And I want to tell you something. Life's too short for you to fuss, fight, and manipulate, and maneuver all your life in your marriage. Amen? I mean, that's not the kind of lie. I was so nervous as a child that lived in that kind of uh, fussing and fighting and drinking and cussing and hitting and beating that I, I, I stuttered for the first uh, year of my school life. They had put earphones on my head and, and I'd have to listen to the Spot Loves Jane and Jane Loves Spot because I was a nervous wreck. And folks, I want to tell you something. You're making your kids a nervous wreck, not by the way you drive, but the way you live in your house if it's not one of peace and joy and purpose and grace of God being ministered to your mate. But folks, it takes commitment. Anything worthwhile takes commitment. I've been committed to this ministry for 40, day, 40 years, 40 days, 40 days and 40 nights, 40 years. And, uh, and folks, it's not a, a chore. I, I love this place. I, I love thinking about uh, uh, remodeling this place. But I love you more than I love this place. And I love my uh, flock that God has entrusted me to. And you're like family. The other day, I was sitting on the northwest side cheering for uh, southeast. Because I was a chaplain there for five years and they blamed me for every loss. No, not really. Uh, but Alex, go ahead and say amen. You was playing. And, uh, you know, and, uh, and, I, and I was quietly trying to be nice and, and I, you know, because Brother Darrell was over there and others, you know, and they were screaming and hollering and, and accusing the referee of throwing the game and all kinds of godly stuff. And, uh, you know, uh, he's listening. And, uh, and you know, and I, and I said, I, 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 I looked back to uh, Brother uh, Tommy and I said, Tommy, here's my team right here. And I pulled my jacket up like that, and he said, Whitfield Baptist Church. Praise God, I'm going to tell you something. I'm a fanatic about church and about God's team. And we're not just a team, we're a family. We're not just a team, we're a body. And praise God, we're not just a team, we're a building. And God is the head cornerstone. And folks, we are part of something that's greater, far more wonderful than anything the world has ever offered. We're part of the local church. But I want to tell you something, friend. You won't be much part of the local church, and you won't be involved in the local church unless you're committed. Unless you're committed. I believe you ought to be committed. I think you ought to hold yourself accountable in a local church. I believe that's why you ought to join a local church and hold yourself accountable and put your testimony and influence in that church. I believe that. I don't believe it ought to be the church 10 miles from here or uh, in another state, you know, and your proxy members. I believe it ought to be local, independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptist church that you're affiliated with. But folks, you've got to have a commitment. That means you join it, and you get baptized, you're committed to God. And folks, it's a public confession, and it's an act of obedience. Anything worthwhile is commitment. Look at, uh, it says, as he purposed in his heart. And look at verse 24, one of the greatest verses in the Bible on marriage in the Old Testament. I gave you the greatest verse in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, 2.24 is the greatest verse, I believe, on marriage. It says, therefore, after God brought woman unto man out of his heart, not his heel. He said, therefore shall a man, listen now, leave his father and mother. I don't advise you living with your father and mother. Who lives with their father and mother? Raise your hand. I'll pray for you. No, no, listen, it says this. It says, and shall cleave unto his wife. The word cleave literally means become one. And I want to tell you something, friend. Once you become one spiritually, physically, and uh, emotionally, and you try to rip it apart, it's like plywood. What do you call that stuff? It's particle board. Thank you, brother. I lost my train of thought here. Particle board. You leave half of it on the other piece. You leave half your heart. And folks, I don't ever recommend going through the trauma of divorce because it'll rip you apart. You that's been there say, amen, you know it. And I'm not looking down on you, not trying to hurt your feelings. But folks, you ought to want me to preach this to the next generation because you know what it does. Say amen. It rips you apart. It pulls you apart. Because you were one and now you're ripped apart. And that's the devil's ploy to rip everybody's marriage apart, including mine. We become, it says, and, and they shall be one flesh, and they were both naked, and were men and, uh, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Any other time, it's a shame to get naked with the opposite sex in the back of a car and have an intimate relationship that's not too intimate. Girls, you're being used. That's what you're doing. And folks, when they're finished with it, they'll go to the next one. Amen, that's right. 
I'm preaching now. I'm telling you, I'm trying to warn you that, folks, the place to express love, you don't make love, you express love, is in marriage. And it messes you up if you do it before marriage. Now, somebody's that's going to help you in the moment of darkness. But I want to tell you this, friend. The Bible says cleaving to his wife. That's commitment. It says leave father and mother. That's the tr- chain of commitment. Of not command, but the chain of counsel. Once you get married, ladies, you don't go to your father for advice. And you don't go tell on your husband every time he offends you and cry and go home and spend the night. Parents, you ought to lock the door and say, you ain't going home to mama. Uh, You're going to work this thing out. Say amen. You say, you're cruel. Well, praise God, I've been married 43 years. And I'm enjoying every bit of it. And she has went home to mom and daddy, but I went and got her. <laughs> no. No. I just went with her, praise God. I said, you're going to leave me, I'm going with you. But anyway, friend, listen, listen. In all honesty, the greatest commitment you make is to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? What a, what a blessing. You take up His cross, and you bear His name, and you bear His shame, and you follow Him. That's the greatest commitment. Whether, you, he, whether uh, he tells you to go, you go. That's a great commitment. But I believe the second greatest commitment is to your mate. Purposed in your heart. To experience the grace of God, but also to express the, the grace of God. Since marriage is God's idea, it's time that we return to our maker and ask Him, how's it supposed to work? Amen? It's not Spock. It's not any... Authority. It's not Smalley. I love his writings. It's not, it's not anyone that has the authority on marriage, but the one that thought it and provided it. And that's why we're so different, husband and wife, and aren't you glad? How would you like to kiss somebody that looks as ugly as you in the mirror, men? That's odd. That is an abomination. Folks, since marriage is God's idea, He's got the plan. But I want to tell you what's so excited about this plan. He's also got the power. <laughs> Amen. Hey, he's got the Holy Spirit to love through you. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Isn't that exciting? I mean, you, don't, you can't live the Christian life and you can't, you can't enjoy the Christian marriage without Him. You can have a marriage for which you've always dreamed about. But you must get there God's way. And God's way is always by what? Faith. I ought to have you up in the choir backing me up, praise God. But anyway, faith. Faith. You ask the question, Miss Jackie's going to answer it, praise God. But anyway, faith. Faith is the victory. And so, folks, we ought to have a faithful marriage. We ought to by faith. We ought to enter it by faith. You will be amazed how simple faith, purpose in his heart, purpose in your heart, how simple faith will make the difference. Amen? Uh, the bedrock foundation for a strong marriage is faith or commitment. You know, when you have faith in the Lord Jesus, it's not just believing about Him. It's believing in Him. And when you believe in Him, guess what? You trust Him and you're committed to Him and you follow Him. I believe uh, in a guy named Khrushchev, but I never have been a communist because I didn't believe in him I believed about him say amen if I believe in him I'm going to follow him and a lot of people have very shallow faith because what they say is I got faith but I'm not going to read my bible I'm not going to pray and I'm surely not going to obey that's very flimsy faith it could be just emotional faith as the devil has James chapter 2 verse 19 and not saving faith faith without works is dead being alone you don't work for your salvation, um, Camelites. Uh, baptism, regeneration, Church of Christ. But folks, once you get saved, you ought to want to get baptized. And you ought to have works that show that you're saved. So folks, there's, there's um, this serving grace that starts with the, with the commitment. Commitment's a vital ingredient for a strong relationship. I want to tell you something, an employee is not worth 10 cents if he's not committed to that job. 
There ought to be a commitment. Hey, a team player is not worth suiting up if he's not committed to do what the coach says do. And by the way, I found out a long time ago, coaches have a lot of authority over our teenagers. They can tell them they're going to camp and miss a whole Bible camp, no matter what. They can tell them we're going to have practice on Wednesday night, they miss Bible study. I made it a rule when Jason was in uh, high school, he had to practice with the freshman on Wednesday afternoon. He was a big old tall senior practicing with a freshman, because I want to tell you something, he wasn't missing Wednesday night for no ball game or no ball team. He was a point guard and, and uh, one of the best. But I want to tell you something, folks, he didn't compromise and got to, uh, I ran into a guy the other day and said, I remember your son. I was at a flea market where I, I mean a, a yard sale where I am every Saturday morning handing out tracks and being spiritual and buying some good junk. I bought a great, great shirt that had a big G on it the other day. I won't tell you what that stands for because it's split. Red and black checks. Anyway. And uh, boy, good price. And uh, he said, hey, I remember your son. He gave the Valavic. Valedictorian, I can't even say it. He was the Valedictorian, and he gave that speech on Isaiah forty thirty one in that convention center. I said, "You remember that? I forgot it." Amen. He said, "Yeah, my son was in the class. He wasn't the head of the class. He was the last of the class." But praise God, I was glad somebody stood up for Jesus in that convention center up there. I said, "I am too." Boy, it made me proud, and I bought two things instead of one thing from him. Amen. He got me. Folks, there's devotion. There's dedication. The cause, the person, the relationship. But folks, why should there not be commitment to what God has said to be committed to? Leave and cleave and be one. And you won't be ashamed. You'll have a whole lot of fun and enjoy life. It's the joy of being in the will of God. Commitment is that decision. It's not, for re it's not a decision for reconsideration. It's a relationship together, no matter what. We're not giving up. We're not renting a road. We're not quitting. We're not changing course. You that's been through a divorce, you ought to have a covenant relationship with the person you're with right now and say, hey, I'm, going, I'm not going to ever quit this marriage. Amen? If not, you're going to keep on keeping on the same old uh, trail of defeat and discouragement. And folks, the devil will destroy your joy. And folks, that's not God's plan. The proper order is commitment to our marriage and then God will give us the relationship that He wants you to have that works. See, it's commitment. Uh, I love the verse uh, somebody quoted to me uh, today somewhere. Oh, yeah. It was that dear old lady, elderly lady, I better not call her old, I was about as old as she was. It was a missionary in Mexico. And she said, Preacher, I like that verse. And she'd get her magnifying glass out because her mind was slipping like mine is. And she was saying, I like that verse in Proverbs chapter 3 where it says, Trust in the Lord. She said it loud. The whole hallway heard it. Praise God. We was in the hallway, matter of fact. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart and lean not on thine own understanding. And in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thy own eyes, and fear the Lord, and depart from evil. I like that verse because it's a promise that God has committed to us. And if we'll commit to Him, He'll commit to us. And folks, when we have commitment that precedes the joy and the feelings and the tingling, then God will give you the relationship that you've always dreamed about. Commitment in marriage is a vital ingredient for two reasons. Number one, because God said so. Leave, cleave, and be one. That's God's plan. That's the first marriage ceremony. That's the first man and woman. Praise God, it's Adam and Eve. And folks, he said, okay, here it is. Cle leave thy father and mother and cleave unto thy husband. and Be one. Folks, that's God's plan. Cleave means holding tight with no intention of letting go. What God says worked, and folks, you ought to trust Him. You don't try it out. You don't have pre-nuptial agreement just in case it don't work. I'm going to tell you something, friend. Commitment has no plan B. If you have plan B, you're not committed. 
If it don't work out, I'll just have a prenup. And matter of fact, I don't think any of y'all in this room have enough to have one. But anyway, it's, it's, it's being patient through your faults and staying no matter what. The question is, are you willing to be that person also? You want commitment when you, hey, how many want somebody that's committed to you? Praise God. Well, listen, first of all, start it with your own heart. Draw a circle around you and have revival, and you start being committed. The question is, are you willing? And great love doesn't just happen by accident. It's a product of faith. Faith is the victory. And there's no plan B. You've got to believe God, and God can rekindle that love from the, fire, uh, from the injuries, from the ashes of hurt. And that kind of commitment is required for marriage to be all that God intended. And it begins first with a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm talking about rising above mediocrity. I don't want to have a mediocre marriage. Praise God. I don't think I have one. I don't think I've got just a normal wife. No offense, honey. She knows she ain't got a normal husband. Praise God. We've got an abnormal life. I think we've got a supernatural relationship and a supernatural life. And our life is just a blessing because we get to be a blessing. And we get to minister to you. And we get to love you. And we get to pastor. And I get to preach God's Word Boy, I'm telling you, I'm thrilled by what God has called me to do. He's called me to be committed to that wonderful, precious gift of my wife, Miss Connie. I don't call her Miss Connie, I call her Honey. But without Christ in your heart, your marriage is destined to just to be mediocre. Folks, listen. Each of us are born sinners, and two sinners cannot meet each other's needs completely. Matter of fact, we're dead to God. You marry a lost person, you're marrying a dead person. Ephesians 2, 2 says they're dead in their sins and trespasses. I didn't say that. And they're walking towards the course of this world. And so, folks, listen, how can two agree if they don't walk together? Amos says that. How can we have fellowship with light and darkness? The first experience of God's uh, commitment is that we, we experience His love, that He was committed to us. God commended His love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ loved us. And He came for us. And that's the grace of God. And the Holy Spirit indwells our life so that we can carry out that commitment. So we can keep our promise. How many of you have ever listened to a wedding ceremony? It and part of it is, I do. I will. I promise. It's not, well, I hope so. Well, I will until. <laughs> Some of people, I'll be honest, just say, well, I will if she does. Bartered love. No, folks, we will and we die to self and we let God's fa the, God the Father's will commit through us. So it's all by faith. Now I want to close with this one verse here or these, these few verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I want you to turn with me and I want you to look at verse 8. This is one of the most encouraging verses in the Bible as far as the Christian life is concerned. We're talking about this grace also, the grace of giving, the grace of serving. Can I say it in the marriage? It's heirs together of the grace of life. It's actually being part of God's plan that He wants you to give. He don't want you in a marriage getting and manipulating and fussing and fighting and fuming because you don't get your little way. It sounds like a spoiled brat to me. Say amen. That's the way I was when I got married. God had to give Miss Connie a lot of patience. But I want you to see we must minister out of the overflow of grace. And the key word is minister. Folks, marriage is one of your greatest ministries, if not the greatest. What does it profit a man if he builds the greatest church in Whitfield County and loses his wife because I made her a spiritual widow. 
or I made my kids spiritual orphans and they never saw daddy because I was always counseling your kids. And so they rebel and grow up and become hellions instead of servants of God helping me in the ministry and backing me up when I preach on the family and backing me up when I'm preaching on marriage. Folks, God has given you arrows in the quiver against the devil's attack, your children. And we ought to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And before we bring them up and train them up in the child in the way he should go and he's not depart, the Bible says in Proverbs 22, 4, that we ought to have, we ought to have humility and the fear of the Lord, which brings riches and honor and life. And so before six is four. And verse 4 says you ought to have humility and the fear of God before you try to train your child up. So the best way to train up a child the way it should go is walk that way first. Don't ever tell your children, well, don't do as I do, but do as I say, baloney. They're going to do exactly what you do, and they're going to do it in excess because they realize you're a hypocrite. And they realize you're not living what you're supposed to be professing and they're going to rebel and when they get to 18, they'll never step foot in this church. That's right. And it's happening all the time. And God help you if you're losing your child to this world because it's a minefield. It's a warfare. And those precious little children deserve a home full of grace between mom and daddy. What kind of pattern are you setting for your children? I once counseled a guy who's about 18 years old. He said, I never want to get married if, 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 if marriage is like my mother and daddy's. Boy, he told on you. And then he married and messed up. Breaks your heart. I'm talking about, friend, when God gives you children, that's a sacred trust. Amen. It's a sacred trust. To bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. To train up a child the way he's going. When he's old, he'll not depart from it. But first of all, it's humility and the fear of the Lord. I want to close with this. I want you to look at verse 8. And God is able. That's the measure. Listen, he's able to do what? To make all grace. That's the measure of grace in your life right now. If you're saved, you have all grace. You have a great measure. It's super, it's, 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 it's um, immeasurable. It's exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ask or think. It's abounding grace. Then it goes on to say, and, I, and I, the next step, the matter of the grace is He abounds towards you. Folks, there's no way to measure how much God loves you. There's no way to measure how patient He's been with you. You know, if we got justice, we'd be in hell today. But God's been merciful. He's been gracious. And then not only do I see the measure, all grace, and the matter abound, but I see the motion of grace that says towards you. It's personal. And this is why I'm saying, what I'm saying is, friend, if you're in a relationship where one's carnal or one's lost and you're trying to be spiritual, you've got a great, great battle on your hands. When it ought to be a love that flows from heart to heart and the children experience and see that. And it's towards you. It's God's grace in you. And then... Uh, thirdly, I see the means of it. It says that ye always having all sufficiency. Look at that, all grace and then all sufficiency. That's the means of it, all sufficiency in what? All things. But here's, here's the clincher. I see not only the measure, all grace, and the manner abound, and the motion towards you, and the means, all grace and all things, but I see the ministry of grace. And this is where if you're not careful, you can stop the flow. The Bible says, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. There's the ministry of it. 
God blesses you to be a blessing. God fills you to overflow. He never fills you with the Spirit for you to be super spiritual and, and out of this world uh, supernatural where you get all the glory. And everybody says, wow, isn't he spiritual? No, a person that's spiritual is a witness, Acts 1.8. He's a giver. He's a lover. And he has the joy of the Lord in his heart, and he loves giving more than he loves receiving. And folks, that takes a miracle. And so folks, here it is. Don't stop the flow. Don't stop the flow of God's grace through you to your mate. And all you have to be is selfish, carnal, lost and indifferent, unbelieving and backslidden, and the flow has stayed. And the marriage begins to fall apart. And the family begins to be anxious. And the devil gets a foothold. And friend, I'll prove to you next Sunday morning that when he gets a foothold, David and Micah, the next step is he leads you to despising his commandments and despising God and committing adultery and murder. That happened in David's life. Because 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 6 says that Micah despised David. And David despised her. He didn't touch her, and she never had a child. And they never got a legal divorce, but she was like a maid in the kingdom to him. And I always wondered where she was at when he was gazing in the middle of the night at a woman named Bathsheba bathing on top of her house. She was nowhere around. And folks, I want to tell you, sin will lead you a lot lower than you ever thought it would. It'll hurt you a lot more. And I believe that one of the greatest hurts in this world today and why we're losing a generation in America is because the devil is dividing marriages and here's a single here's a child that's being raised by a single mom and wondering why daddy never comes and at least visits and at least talks to him at least text him or facebook him praise god but just goes on his merry way and leaves him in the shadow of loneliness that's not god's plan God's plan is that he sees the security of my daddy full of God's grace and my mama full of God's grace ministering one to another. We're losing a generation of children. And all it takes is to lose one generation and this nation is gone. Luke 6, 38 says, Give it and shall be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing. As God gives to you, you can give to others. That implies a marriage. Genesis 12, 2 says, You're blessed to be a blessing. I must close, but I want to read just verse 11 and tell you how to have a sweet relationship with your wife or husband. It says, Being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, bountifulness which causes through us, thanksgiving to God. I'm out of time, so let me just state it. I'll preach it some other time. This word enrich is a bakery term. I can relate to this, ver this, this word enrich. It's a confectionery term. When I think of this enrich, I think about Dunkin' Donut. Bavarian cream filled Dunkin' Donut. My favorite. Praise God. Hallelujah. It's better than Krispy Kreme. And I prayed that Krispy Kreme in, and now I'm looking for a Dunkin' Donut. You've got to pray some deep prayers when you're, in, when you're in the will of God. But folks, it really means oozing out. It means a pastry that they made in the Bible days that was enriched with cream, was enriched with apples. It was enriched. It was, it was, it was cream-filled. And it would literally ooze out of the sweetness. Folks, the Bible says you've been enriched in everything to all bountifulness. You just want to ooze. You don't want to be sweet. 
You want to be kind. You want to have manners after you get married. And change t-shirts once a week, men. And clean up once in a while. And take her out on a date. Praise God. Hallelujah. Ladies, you ought to shout and wave your hand at your husband. And slap him while you're at it. No. And folks, listen. It's enriched. It's giving out of, out of the richness of God. But it's not things. It's not dates. It's not things that she needs. And I'll get into the practical part of it later. It's letting God's love ooze out of you. Amen. And what's the results? Through us, thanksgiving to God. Listen. I close. I'm over time. It's loving God so much and Him loving you so much and having a love relationship with Him that it's a sweet relationship to your, your mate and your children of thanksgiving. God and it glorifies God verse 13 and it's an unspeakable gift I don't know about you but I think every child in America deserves to be raised in a family like that I mean just overflowing heirs together of the grace of life but it doesn't stop there Chapter 9, verse 8 says, In all things that it may abound to every good work. Ministering grace to the hearer. Marriage is God's idea. You ought to sweeten up your marriage by being enriched with the grace of God to overflow to your mate and to your children. Let's pray. Father, I know I went over time and Dear God, I, I feel bad about it for a little while. But God, I thank you for the power of your grace. I didn't get into the power of surrendered grace, which is forgiveness. But dear Lord, help us to be manifesting the spirit of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. God, help us to have an uncommon courtesy in our home, an uncommon concern and an uncommon control in our marriage. May we, dear God, be committed as a man purpose in his heart. And God, may we be yielded to your grace.